I want to say a big welcome to everybody who's here. Uh, a big welcome to everybody in our Shepherdsville, at our Shepherdsville location. Can we welcome our Shepherdsville location today? Wherever you are, wherever you're watching this or part of this service, we're just glad that we get to be together and really believing that God's going to do something uh, amazing today. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at the church and just pumped we get to be together uh, today. We're starting, you know, November. It's Need You November, baby. All right? And so... Uh, we'd love for you to get involved and jump in. Hopefully you got your sermon guide when you came in today. Uh, make sure you have that. We're going to be using that today and uh, just excited to, to get going back into the third part of this series called Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. And we've just been taking five weeks to talk about the challenges that our families face. We all are facing challenges I'm sure every generation of parent and spouse has felt like that time was the hardest time to raise a kid or to be married or to be a Christian or whatever it is. But, but it does feel as if right now there are so many challenges facing us that whether it's, whether it's right or not or true or not, it just feels like it's more challenging than it's ever been. But we've been looking to the Bible to just find some answers uh, solutions. What is it? What does God say about family, about marriage, about uh, being an uncle, being a grandparent, being a be, being somebody who is a part of a family? That's what we've been doing, and uh, and how can we keep our family together when it feels like that families are falling apart? Families are not doing great in our in our society and culture. We've shared these stats with you, but the the somewhere between forty and fifty percent of couples divorce. Um, one in three kids live in a home without a dad. The average student loan debt per household is 49000 Over 7 million children take some form of antidepressant medication. Over 3,000 high school students attempt to take their life every day. And the truth is the average family is not doing great. But the good news and the reason we're doing this series and what we've been saying to you every week is that your family doesn't have to be average and that God really wants to do something amazing um, in your home. And so as a part of this series, we have been issuing a 30-day challenge to all families. And uh, if you're just now joining us today, you can start your 30 days uh, today or tomorrow. You don't have to do it at the same time as us. But when you leave today, if you haven't got your calendar, you can grab that calendar. And what we've done for the calendars is we've taken the dates off because these obviously don't line up starting now. But we really want to encourage you to do this challenge. There's a calendar for you to kind of map out 30 days, and then all the challenges on the left side of the calendar. So make sure you have that and jump in. And then the biggest part of this series has just been challenging you and your family to be here together uh, every week of this series. And we started at the beginning saying five weeks together as a family. And so obviously there's this week and two more, but maybe if you're just getting started in this, maybe you just want to start the five-week challenge today. And I met so many of you already who uh, I was getting to meet today for the first time but your first time at church was three weeks ago, and you've been here for every part of this series. I just think that's amazing. And so pumped. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. And I think your family uh, will be better for it, okay? So let me give you the five things that will keep your family together. Five things that will keep your family together. Number one is God. Number two is forgiveness. Number three is margin. Number four is effort. Number five is communication. God, forgiveness, margin, effort, and communication. So the first week, we talked with God. you got to start with God. We don't want to just be a family that goes to church together, even though we want to go to church. We want to be a family that follows Jesus together. We want to build our life on Christ. And so what we said that first week is the best way to keep your family together for the next 50 years is to keep your family together 50,000 years. 
and just take an eternal perspective of your family. Let's follow Jesus together. And uh, that was the first week. And then last week, we talked about forgiveness. If you weren't here, I really want to encourage you to get uh, that sermon. It may be the longest sermon I've preached in several years, but we just had a lot to say. We had a lot to say. And so uh, I want to encourage you to get that uh, and just that the people who we love the most have the potential to hurt us the most. But we, if we want to keep our family together, we have to be willing to forgive. We can't hold on to grudges and hurt and offense. And so that was last week. And so today we're going to talk about margin. Everybody say margin. Margin. We're talking about it, all right? Now, there's a story in the book Divine Mentor, which I highly recommend, by the way, written by Wayne Cordero. If you're a reader and you haven't read Divine Mentor, I would encourage you to read that. But it's about a tree that was planted in 1606 in what would come to be known as Yosemite National Park. And eventually, the tree grew to be 240 feet high. But a few years ago, unexpectedly, surprisingly, the tree collapsed. It fell down and, uh, and, and it died. And this was the first of Yosemite sequoias to, to fall in over 100 years. So obviously the Forest Service was um, curious about what happened. So they did a study to figure out what would make this massive tree fall. There had been no windstorms, fires, floods, lightning strikes, no animal damage. Um, n- they didn't know what had caused it. And so they did a, they did a study into it, a research into it. And they came to the startling conclusion that what caused the tree to fall was foot traffic. Foot traffic. They determined that, this is what the the study came back and said, that the collected foot traffic around the base of the tree over the years damaged the root system. So Yosemite decided to institute a policy of placing fences around some of the oldest trees. And this is, I'm quoting their study here to keep the public from trampling the root system of these giants. And so today, I want to talk about protecting our family's root system. I want to talk about protecting our family's root system. How do we put a fence around the root system of our family and our home? You probably, I don't know, but most likely you have a fence maybe in your backyard or you have, your, your, you have your house protected in some way, I guess. I don't know if you call it protection, but you know what I mean. Uh, but I don't know that we have fences around the root system of our families, around the heart, the pulse, the heartbeat of our family. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Let me ask you this question. How many people, both, both locations, let me see your hand here. How many people would be honest and say, Jason, I could use a little more time in my day? Let me see your hand. Come on. Okay. All right. Yes, let me ask you this question. How many people would say, I could use, my family could use a little more money? Let me see your hand. Yeah, if, if you're sitting by somebody whose hand is not raised, ask them for some. Ask them for some, <laughs> ask them for some money, okay? What about this one? How many people would say, how many people would say, I, I could stand to use one more week of, of vacation? Let me see, let me see your hand. Yeah, I, I think all of us in the room would enjoy some of that. Okay, bad news is this is not a message about how to have more time, more money, or more vacation, okay? So that was a tease there. But this is really a message about how to have more courage, how to have more courage. Because I believe that the problem is not needing more time, more money, or more vacation. I believe the problem is needing to learn how to say no, we, we don't need more time, more money, more vacation. We need the courage 
to learn how to say no. Can we practice that together? I think it'd be therapeutic for us today. Both locations right now, let's just say no together. Ready? Come on. No. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that just feel, that just feel so good to just, just say no, right? If I told you that there was a very good chance that someone was going to break into your home this week and to steal your stuff, or even worse, God forbid, somebody was going to break into your home and harm or take somebody that you loved in your home, here's what I know about you. You would do something. You, you would buy a gun or you would put in an alarm system. Some of y'all would move. Like you, you would do whatever it takes to protect your family from an immediate threat. I believe that our families are under an immediate threat, but it doesn't feel immediate. And so we won't maybe see the consequences or feel the consequences of that for a while, maybe until it's too late. But I feel like we are under a threat, maybe more severe than burglary or, uh, or health problems, I believe the immediate threat against our family, attacking our family, is stress. It's stress. It's stress. Now, now, you know I love a good dictionary definition. Stress is defined as a state of emotional strain or tension resulting from very demanding circumstances. I want to read that again because we're going to deal with this today. A state of emotional strain or tension resulting from, so emotional strain that comes from demanding circumstances. I think stress is killing our families. I really, I really do. We are, our families are emotionally strained because of the demands on us. Our families are emotionally strained because of the demands on us. But unfortunately, we probably won't realize what it has done to us until, until it's, it's too late. Now, the reason that we're talking about margin today is because margin is the way that we fight against stress. Margin is the way that we fight against stress. Margin is the fence that we put around the root system of our, of our family, Margin, if, you want, if you're looking for a definition for margin, maybe you want to write this down. Margin is the gap, the difference, the gap, between where you are and your limits. Margin is the gap or the difference between where you are and your limits. So let's talk about our time just for a moment. Margin is the gap between where, how much time you currently have and the maximum limit of the amount of time you have. So if you have... If you have margin, that means that you have free time. You have time that could be filled. You have margin in your time. Margin in your money is the gap or the difference between where you are and your limits. So if you uh, have savings or you're not overcommitted financially or you could uh, face a crisis financially or you could spend some money at your discretion, that means you have margin because you're not maxed out based on where you are. There's a gap. But if you don't have that, then that means you don't have margin. Does that make sense to everybody? That's what margin is. And so specifically today, we're going to talk about margin in the area of time and money. Now, here's the challenge for us, okay? If you've been here throughout this series, here's the challenge for us today. This doesn't feel or sound like a very spiritual topic. When you talk about building your family on God, tugs your heartstrings, it's a spiritual thing, it's a very emotional thing. You talk about forgiving people who have hurt you. We were crying last week. It was an emotional, spiritual thing. It feels very spiritual. You talk about margin. 
feels like a seminar, right? Somebody's going to tell me how to do better with my time and my money. It doesn't feel as spiritual as, as God and forgiveness, but you would be wrong to think that because the Bible has a lot to say about margin. God was passionate about margin. Let me tell you how passionate God was about margin. It made it into the Ten Commandments. I want you to think about this. Don't murder and margin made the same list. That's how passionate God was about margin. God was so passionate about margin that he gave himself a day off the week he created everything. God was so passionate about margin that he said, when you manage your finances, just put 10, just right up top, put 10 away. Give 10 away. That's how passionate he was about margin. He talked about it all the time, but it doesn't feel. And so our challenge today, we, you know, we come to say, you know, pastor, fix my family. I need God to help my family, restore my family, heal my family. And so God and forgiveness is like, yes, we're digging out. We're digging out the roots of bitterness. I believe stress may be a bigger opponent in our families than even unforgiveness and bitterness. I really, I really do. Um, and so that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to read a story out of the New Testament. The, 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 some of the scriptures are, are on your sermon guide. We're going to read a, a story about a family, two sisters specifically, who live together. And the reason that we're reading about this family is, is, is going to show us a couple of things that are very important that we need to learn. Here, here's a couple of things that's going to show us. Usually, it's going to show us that usually what feels most important is actually not most important. We're going to learn that. It's also going to show us that it's almost impossible to be maxed out and fully present at the same time. That's important to know. That story's going to show us. It's almost impossible to be maxed out. Running on empty, maxed out, fully committed, and fully present at the same time. And, and I think the most important thing probably it's going to show us is that if we keep saying yes to things that are not most important, we will say no to the things that are. If we keep saying yes to things that are not most important, we will have to. We will be forced to say no to the things that, that are most important, okay? Now, before I read this story, I want to ask you a question. I'm not going to ask you to answer it out loud, so please don't do that. Uh, I don't even know if you'll be able to come up with an answer on the spot, but I do want you to think about it. And if you're in a growth group, we'd love for you to get in one of those. You're going to talk about this question this week with, with your growth group. But here, here's the question I want you to have to, to, to deal with and wrestle with today. Here's the question. What is success? What is success. I want you to think about that. And I want you to, to wrestle with that, maybe this week or with your growth group or with your family, maybe today at lunch. I want you to try to define what is your definition of success. And here's why, here's why it's important that you answer that question and why you have a definition for success. Because you can't win everywhere in life. You can't win in all areas of life. You have to decide where you want to win. And a yes to winning in one area is a no to winning in another area. Does that make sense? But if you don't know what the finish line looks like, if you don't know what success looks like, you'll try to win at everything. And when you try to win at everything, guess what? You win at nothing, right? Now, the challenge is that when we're in church or a pastor's talking about this, we feel this pressure to give the answer that we think we're supposed to give, but it's not the real answer. So what's, what is success? What is most important? Jesus. 
Jesus is most important. God is most important in my life. Maybe. My family. My family is most important. Maybe. But it feels like we're supposed to say that. But God can't heal what we fake. God can't fix what we fake. We say a lot around here. Can't heal what we hide. We say that a lot around here. So I really want to challenge you to be honest with yourself, just with yourself, about what is the real answer. What truly is most important to you? And if it is most important to you, I'm not making fun, I promise. If what is most important to you is to be the best Xbox player in the world, to be ranked in the top 100 of Fortnite, if that is what is most important to you, be honest with yourself and say, that's what's most important to me. If, if being a scratch golfer is most important to you, call me first. But second of all, <laughs> be honest with yourself about that, okay? If, if, if being the, uh, an amazing fisherman or hunter is most important, if being fashionable or trendy is most important, if what people think about you is most important, be honest with yourself about that. Because you'll never be able to get where you want to go if you don't be honest about where you are. I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am. You got to be honest about where you are. And so as we read this story today, we're going to be forced to answer or deal with what's most important. What is, what is success? I, I read a definition of success a couple of years ago that I've just kind of adopted as my own. You can steal mine because I stole it from somebody else. But here is, here is my definition. My definition of success is doing the most with what matters most. Doing the most with what matters most. Now that you still have to decide what matters most, so it doesn't let you off the hook. But we've all met people who were technically successful, but they didn't feel successful. They were miserable. Lost the things that they found out after they lost it mattered most to them. Right? We, we know those people. We've also met people and know people who to the standards technically of success are not successful at all, but they are the happiest, most joyful, most content people because they're doing the most with what matters most to them. Does that make sense? All right. So, so, so we're going we're gonna to read this story today and have to deal with that question. What do we want to say yes to? And by saying yes to that, what are we in return saying no to? All right. So let's read the story. It's on your sermon guide, Luke chapter 10. Verse 38, Luke chapter 10, we're going to start with verse 38 and read four or five verses together. Let's find it here. There we go. Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, and we are starting. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. By the big dinner she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister, because it seems unfair to me, but what do you, God, that my sister just sits here while I do all the work Tell her to come and help me, 41. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. Older translations say many things. 42, there is only one thing 
worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, when I read this story, I can't help but think that Martha had to be the older sibling, right? How many people in here, you're the younger sibling in your family, you're the youngest sibling in your family? Isn't this exactly what we would do, what Mary's doing? Your older siblings are working, cleaning, cooking. Mary's just on the couch, you know, just relaxing. That, I'm a youngest sibling. That just sounds exactly like what I would be doing. So the Bible doesn't tell us, but we got to believe Martha's the oldest. How many oldest siblings in the room? Come on. Doesn't this sound like what your little kid, little brother, little sister would do? So Martha's working. Mary's just relaxing, you know, and, and Martha's frustrated about it. She's, she's very frustrated about it. And we can understand this frustration. Listen, if Jesus is coming over for dinner, you spray the Febreze, okay? You, you, get the, you get the good cups and the good plates out, you know, the ones you never use. You can't put them in the dishwasher, but you're going to use them because Jesus is coming. You're vacuuming. I'll tell you how chaotic it is in the Isaac's house. We've conditioned our kids. This is terrible, but it is what it is. If we ever say to our kids, come on, guys, we really got to clean up, they always say, why, somebody coming over? <laughs> so just so you know. Um, and so Martha is doing what we feel inclined to do, the type A, the driven, all the Enneagram 1378s. Like we feel this need to like, come on, we got to do this, and she thinks she's doing the right thing. And Mary, it sounds like, is not doing the wrong thing. And just so you know, this is not, the point of the story is not to not clean your house, okay? That's not the point of the story. It's not about trying to be a good host. Matter of fact, the Bible has a lot to say about being a good host and being hospitable, and so that's not the point. Jesus was trying to teach Martha that if we live life like everything is important, we end up missing the most important things. If we live life like everything is most important, we end up missing the most important things. Look at verse 40. It says, Martha was distracted. Distracted. I think if we were to take an honest assessment of our life, we would probably admit that we are distracted. We always have somewhere to be. We always have something to buy. We always have something to watch. Isn't that crazy? Even when you have free time, somebody's like, have you, watched, have you binge watched that whole season of that show? So now I've got a couple of hours, but now I'm committed because I need to watch this show. Somebody to respond to, somebody to text back. Here's the kicker. It all feels important, right? If it didn't feel important, you wouldn't do it. It all feels important. The emails feel important. The sale feels important. The tournament feels important. But remember the definition of stress. Emotional strain resulting from demanding circumstances. Emotional strain resulting from demanding circumstances. The coach is demanding we're at practice. The boss is demanding that we put in a little extra time at work. The collectors are demanding that we pay the bills. And just so you know, this is why more time in the day or more money would not help you. I know we believe it would. If I had 26 hours in the day, that's not true. Because if you had 26, something would be demanding that time. 
If you got a raise at work, you've probably gotten raises before. Did it fix anything? Did it solve your problem? No, because something will demand that money. We don't need more time, more money. What we need is the courage to say no, no. I I did some research this week about stress fractures. Um, I've never had a stress fracture, but I'm sure many of you Many of you have. It's a very common injury for athletes, which is probably why I've never had one. Uh, but some of you, I can tell from the look, you probably have. Um, and so I just did doing a little research into stress fractures. And, and if, you, if you don't know about it, I'll just kind of clue you in. Uh, a stress fracture is when a bone is injured due to repeated use. So in other words, uh, you, you get a stress fracture because you overuse a part of your body. It's very common in runners it's this repetitive force, repetitive stress over and over again. It's not, it's not because of one fall or because of a twist or whatever. It is repetitive use over and over and over and over again. That's how you get a stress fracture. And the reason I bring that up is because I think if we were honest, we would maybe admit that so many of our families feel fractured. Feel fractured. But I don't believe we feel fractured because of a bombshell or a tragedy. I believe that the fracture we feel in our families is a stress fracture. Stress fracture. Repeated use. Repeated use. Repeated use. Repeated use over and over again. Now, if you go to the doctor because you have a stress fracture, here's what they're going to do. They are, they're going to put you in, in a walking boot or a cast, right? We've got one right here. If you have a stress fracture, you go to the doctor, they put you in a walking boot or some type of cast. Why do they do that? Well, they do that because they know that the natural instinct of your body is to keep using the part that is injured, the part that is broken, the part that is hurting. And so in order for them to get you to do what your natural instinct would be to do, they have to restrict that part of your body. Does that make sense? So the doctor has to put restrictions on the part of your body that continues to be overworked and overused. And because if they didn't, it would never heal. Why? Because the natural instinct is to never be still long enough for something to heal. I didn't rhyme, mean to rhyme, but that's pretty good right there, all right? <laughs> and, and, and so they say, okay, you will not let it heal unless I restrict it. Wow. So I got to restrict it so that you would let it, let it heal. And some of us in the room never let injuries heal. We're walking with a limp. My, my finger, I played basketball and, and bent my, I played defense, which was my first mistake, and I bent my, thumb, my finger back, and I broke the bone on the back of my hand, and it was twisted, and the doctor said I could put a cast on it four weeks, or I can go to surgery and put it back where it goes eight to 12 weeks. I wanted to play golf. I said four is fine. And, and I got this crooked finger that only bothers me when I really need it, and, 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 because I just didn't, I was not patient enough to let it heal, right? And, and, and so I believe, in a way, just go with me here for a second, I believe in a way what we need is, we, we almost need like a family cast. We almost need to put like a walking boot on our family because we have to admit to ourselves that our natural instinct is to never be still long enough to let something heal, to get back healthy, to get back where we need to go. And notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, you are worried and upset over everything, everything. But Jesus said only how many things? One thing, one thing. 
is worth being concerned about. Now, that's big words. He didn't say one thing is, is, you know, most important, but other things are really important. He said there's only one thing, one thing worth being concerned about, to have concern. There's only one thing, Jesus said, worth being concerned about. And so, I don't know about you, but if Jesus is going to, he teases us a little bit because he doesn't tell us right there. But I think we could go find it because he talked about it in Matthew chapter 6. And this is on your sermon guide as well. But I just want to read this to you because Jesus, if, if Jesus says there's one thing to be concerned about, I don't know about you, but I'd like to figure out what that one thing is. And so Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, just a couple of verses, verse 31. Here's what he says. He says, so don't worry about all these things. What things? Well, he just listed this whole thing. It's pretty much all the basic worries of life. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? 32, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. 33, here it is. Seek division one scholarships above all else. Seek followers on social media. No, he says seek the kingdom of of God above all else. But Jason, what about, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. He doesn't say seek the kingdom of God and go live in the woods and never worry about anything, do anything, be with anybody. No, he doesn't say that. He, he understands that there are demands, there are worries. He understands that we do care about, you know, how the living room smells and looks when a guest comes over. He, he, we, that, that is a normal thing, right? But he said, look, there's only one thing, if, if, if we're going to worry, if we're going to be concerned, if we're going to be passionate about something, there's only one thing to be concerned about. And if you're concerned about that one thing, everything else will work itself out. Everything else will work itself out. Now, if I'm being honest, I don't really spend a lot of time worrying about what I'll eat, what I'll drink, and what I'll wear, or where I'll sleep. For the people Jesus was talking to at this time, this made all the sense in the world. Like, this is a real concern. Probably for most of us in the room, there may be some of you who don't know where your meal or your bed's going to be tonight, but for most of us in the room, this is not what we are worried about. But we do worry. Specifically, when it comes to our family, we do, we do worry. We worry about our children's future their education, their social skills, their friendships. We had a parent-teacher conference the other day. <laughs> you know, I didn't go. Andrea went because she's the teacher. She came home, and you know, the teacher had some good things to say, but some negative things to say. I was getting feisty, you know? Like, <laughs> there, it, like there's this, I didn't even know I had those emotions in me. What do you mean? It's like, now there's concern, fear, worry about, about you know, long division. Um, we worry, have you tried long division, by the way? Like, like fifth grade long division lately? Okay, anyway, it's crazy. Um, we worry about what people think about us. We worry about keeping up with our neighbors. We worry about being viewed as a good mom by the other moms at the school. We worry about what we're gonna drive. We worry about the features on the next iPhone. We worry about things. 
may not be what we eat, drink, wear, sleep, but we worry about them. And here's what happens to our families. Our fear, and it is fear, our fear and our worry causes us to say yes when we should say no. We're afraid to say no. We, everybody listen to me, we are afraid to say no. And right now, maybe you're thinking, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say no. No, see, I just said, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say no. You are. You are afraid to say no. In, in areas of your life that are most important to you, that you haven't admitted to yourself are most important to you, you're afraid to say no. Because you're afraid that a no will hurt your chances for a yes at some point later on in life or how people feel about you or your status or whatever it is. Imagine this scenario for everybody in the room who says, I'm not afraid to say no. Imagine the scenario that you look at your finances this year and because you have no margin and you're trying to get out of debt and you're trying to save money, you say to all your family, including your immediate family, hey, we're not doing Christmas presents this year because we are trying to get our finances in order. But mom, dad, can we? <clears throat> um, okay, we could do like a couple of gifts. We just, right? Afraid to say no. Hey, brother-in-law who got me that like $80 gift. Um, we're not able to get you anything. We didn't get you. We're trying to get our, like, we're afraid to say no. Listen, I, I, this is so stupid to even admit, but it's just real. So let's just be honest about where we are. Uh, like even like with my kids playing sports, like I, if I'm being completely honest with you, I don't expect greatness out of their athletic prowess. But like even at 10 and 11 years old, I'm afraid to say no to the coach. Because what if they're great? Like what if we're dealing with the next Pele here? What if we really... Like, what if at 14 it kicks in and they're one of the greats? What if this is what they really would end up being passionate about? I don't want to mess that up. I don't want to ruin that. Okay, we'll do another night of practice. All right. We'll, we'll go on the trip. We'll go to the tournament. We'll do it. Because the thought of looking at my kid and saying, <clears throat> no, no, we're not doing it. And let me tell you why we're not doing it. No, we're not buying it. And let me tell you why. And listen, it's not just a parent to a kid thing. It's a spouse thing. It's looking in the mirror and saying it at yourself. It's having the courage to say it to your mother-in-law. It's, having the, it's the courage to say it to your boss, not as a jerk, but as a like, hey, I'm going to pass on that opportunity. No. We're scared to say no. We're scared to say no. We don't need more time. We don't need more money. We don't need more vacation. We need more courage to say, to say no. But Jesus says that saying no to the things that aren't most important allows us to say yes to the things that are. And, and, and he says to Martha, you, you are worried about all these things that you think matter and whether Martha's just, Mary's just lazy or whether she's really spiritual, we don't know, but she figured it out. There's one thing, it's the kingdom of God. So what would it look like for your family to prioritize the kingdom of God? I've thought long and hard this week about how to answer that question, and I ain't even really come up with a good answer. It's a letdown, I guess. I, I, but like, I think it looks a little different for every family, if I'm being honest. 
But, I, but what does it, if, if, if Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will work itself out, what does that look like for my family? To seek the kingdom of God first. I think right off the top, un, unarguable would be that if, if my family's money is, is, is committed to the kingdom of God, I've got to be a giver, I've got to be a, a tither, I've got to be generous, goes to God, which will require no's to something over here for yeses to that. I think time-wise, at a bare minimum, my family being committed to the kingdom of God looks like being involved and serving and connected at the local church because Jesus builds the church. He's passionate about the church. I think that's at a bare minimum, it's that. But here's what's amazing about margin is when it comes to margin, if you will have the courage to say no to the things that don't matter, you will be able to say yes to things you were never planning on saying yes to that are God opportunities in your life. Because you said no in an area financially, you can say yes to taking your child on a mission trip, seeking the kingdom of God as a family. Because you were able to say no to something in your schedule, you were never planning because you had margin in your schedule, but now an opportunity has come open. God is opening a door and you say yes because you can say yes. For so many of us in the room right now, if God answered a miraculous prayer that we've been praying that was opportunity or finance related, or God spoke to our heart and we were 100% sure it was God, we wouldn't be able to say yes because we haven't been willing to say no to the things that don't matter. And look, as I'm preaching this and we're gonna close out here, as I'm preaching this, it's like, it's so easy sitting right here to be like, okay, family meeting tonight. Okay, we're saying no. And then you look at the list and you're like, which ones? Because we're scared. And so here's what I wanna ask you to do. As a part of our 30-day challenge, we've given you resources for a budget. If your family's not doing a budget, I wanna challenge you to do a budget. Figure out what you're saying no to financially and what you're saying yes to financially. And ask yourself the question, and I would encourage you to pray before you do the budget, what, what does it look like for, what does a budget look like that seeks the kingdom of God first? Get out your calendar, get out your schedule, pray first and say, what does a schedule or a calendar look like that seeks the kingdom of God first? And so I'm gonna challenge you and I'm gonna pray for you in just a moment to pray and ask God to help you identify the areas that aren't most important but you're still going to have to have the courage to say no to the things that aren't most important. So you can say yes to the things that are. And what's gonna happen is every no is gonna create a little more margin and a little more margin. And margin is protecting that root system of our heart. Our family's not living at the maximum amount of stress, at the peak of tension, at the peak of anger, your wife spends $31 at Target and you didn't know about it, but now we're not fighting about it because there was margin in there. That's a good place to say amen, wives, right there. That, 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 like you, you, you're, you weren't planning on going somewhere this weekend, but you got margin so you can. Now we're not living at the peak. Our children understand why we say no to the things we say no to and yes to the things we say yes to. Because if, if we wanna keep our family together, going to require us to put up a fence to keep everyone else that is demanding of us 
at a distance. At a distance. Does that make sense to everybody? I want to pray for us. This is easier to preach than it is to live, but I just want to pray for us that we would have the courage to put fences around the root system of our families. Let's pray right now.